Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Good morning. I'm Leah Johnson. Um, I serve here sometimes in the worship team, and I also help my husband with the student ministry. Um, This morning, I'm going to be reading John 16, verses 32 and 33. Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us in this place. We thank you that you are worthy of your name, truly the name that's above every other name, Father, the name that Jesus saves. Lord, lead us in worship, lead us in your word, and just inspire us and encourage us by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. My church, you may have a seat. All right, all right. So last week that we we're spending in this series called God Gives, and so this morning if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, God Gives Peace. So was your Christmas morning full of peace? Perfect peace, Christmas Day, full of peace, anyone? Just peaceful all throughout the whole thing. Nothing but peace. Glad I'm not alone. Mine was not full of peace. There were some peaceful moments, and then there's some conflict, and then peaceful moments, and then conflict. You know, when you have kids, this happens, right? But how do you have peace in the midst of all of it? Heard about this contest, and I saw some of it online of how do you draw peace? What does that look like? I've seen some drawings. It's a world with a peace symbol. Heard about this contest that there was two drawings, and one had this picture of just this tranquil, calm, oasis-type scene, quiet, relaxing. Another picture that had just this ravaging storm, wind and rain and thunder and just things crashing down. In the corner of this picture, there was this bird sitting on a limb with a beam of sun shining on it. So I wonder which one describes peace more. I believe when we talk about biblical peace, it's a great point to start from. It's more like the second picture. In the midst of the storm, things are raging. There's still peace to be found. In the context of what we read this morning out of John 16, that Leah just read for us, was the context of the Last Supper, Jesus' final moments before he'd be handed over to be murdered. And here Jesus, like he did many times before, is preparing his followers, one for him to be leaving and the pain and persecution that he would soon endure and go through, but also for them and their coming pain and persecution that they would experience just in life. And here in verse 32 in John 16, he says, Indeed, an hour is coming. And has come. I mean, here it is. When each of you will be scattered to his own home, and you will leave me alone, yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. And throughout many times in Jesus' life, he would often teach using stories and parables, which oftentimes were, were not as clear as the listeners would like it to be. They often misunderstood what Jesus said, but when it came 
to teaching regarding the disciples' coming conflict that would happen and his own, he was very clear and to the point. We see in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus began to teach that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, be killed, and, and rise after three days. And so you see this terminology that Jesus would use several times that he would have to be, he would suffer, die, and rise. He was very clear that these three things would happen. He was often also very clear about if you were a follower of his, what life would look like. In Matthew 10, verse 22, Jesus says, You will be hated by everyone because of my name. That will happen. Because of who I am, if you're following me, you can expect people to hate you because of who I am. And so here he's preparing them for this persecution to, to happen and for them to scatter. And this is exactly what happened at the cross. During Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, the disciples would scatter. And we know that because only person, disciple that we see at the cross, there's only one. One disciple. John. He's the only one we see at the cross. And Jesus' disciples would have suffering because of their identification with Jesus well after the cross. You see Jesus' crucifixion, his death, burial, resurrection, and eventual ascension. And the followers of Jesus would go on to be bold witnesses of Christ, yet they would experience suffering because of their identification with Jesus. And it would grow and grow. We see that all throughout the book of Acts, that as the early church gets going and thriving and spreading. We see in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested for sharing the gospel of Jesus. We see in Acts chapter 5, the apostles were arrested and jailed. We see in Acts chapter 7, Stephen was killed for being a Christian. And on that day in Acts chapter 8, it says, persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. And the one that really kicked off this mass persecution was this murderer-turned-missionary, the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul would go on, as he followed Jesus, would experience many, many pains and persecutions, which he explains in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 28. This is what he says. He says, Five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea on frequent journeys. I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers amongst false brothers, toils, hardships, many sleepless nights, many hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing, not to mention, if that's not enough, he says other things. That about covers it. That's a lot of stuff. And with the Apostle Paul, really, what he's saying here was specific to him, but not uncommon for Christians in the first century. These are common things that would happen to people. is pain and persecution because of identification with Jesus. And so the point that Jesus is making here and the point that, G that Jesus' followers would experience is the suffering for the name of the Savior was and to be expected. So, the begs the question, when life threw everything at them, what kept these first century followers of Jesus 
pressing forward. Well, I think there's two things that we see from Scripture. Number one, they had a Holy Spirit-inspired perspective. They had a Holy Spirit-inspired perspective. Their eyes were fixed more on the Lord's promises than what this life can provide. I believe this is what Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 talks to. It says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. It's talking about life. Endurance doesn't sound easy, does it? It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some work. You're going to get tired, but let's run the race with endurance, keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's the point. Throughout all the chaos, focusing on Jesus, no matter what's crumbling or shaking around you, keeping your eyes on Jesus. And here they knew problems were promised for everyone who lived for Lord Jesus. That's what Jesus said would happen. What we just saw in John 16, you will have suffering in this world. And they did. We see in Acts 5 that we just talked about the apostles were arrested. It also says they were flogged and then ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released. Now imagine that. What would your feelings be after being arrested because of the name of Jesus, flogged, which is brutal, and said, do it again, and you expect worse, and released? What they did, it says they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. They knew suffering was promised, and because they were suffering because of the name of Jesus, they knew that other people saw Jesus in them, and they was worthy of it. If Jesus suffered, his followers would also. And they saw it as praiseworthy, rejoicing, because they identified with Jesus. That's perspective. Holy Spirit-inspired perspective. And I think there's a second, second here. That kept them pressing forward was number two, Holy Spirit-instilled peace. Holy Spirit-instilled peace. Notice what we just, the text we just read, John 16. What did Jesus say? He said, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. That's not what he said. Because he's told these things that you will, you will suffer, you'll be scattered, those things don't cause peace. Those cause anxiety, fear, stress. But what he did say, he said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. That's the difference. We don't have just perfect peace by going about and looking at all these things. And it's in Jesus as you go about enduring these things. In him there's peace to be found. In John 14, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. But I think before we talk about how peace is possible, we need to deal with anxiety and worry. Because I believe anxiety and worry are the biggest peace thieves that we have. Anxiety and worry. Now I wonder if this is a safe place, which I pray it is. I mean, how many deal at some level with anxiety? That's a good mixture. And the rest of you are lying. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Take it easy. 
But I do. I deal with anxiety. And it's not clinical, it's not what I'm saying, but I'm an anxious person. I feel oftentimes like the duck. You know what I'm talking about? Like just cruising along above water, but underwater his feet are ground. That's why I feel like inside sometimes. And I, if I'm honest, I, I hate it about myself. I've just noticed that anxiety comes so easy, at least for me. I think to make it worse sometimes, if we can, throughout biblical history, we see the boldness of believers, we see the courage of Christians throughout the pages of Scripture. And we come to strong statements like that of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't worry about your life. Strong statements by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, don't worry about anything. That's a lot of stuff. I think when we come to things like this, I think we can feel guilty or even less than Christian when anxiety or worry creep in. So let me ask the big question. Is anxiety sin? Is anxiety sin? I think we can look at life of Jesus here. Because here we have him at the Last Supper in John chapter 16. Right after the Last Supper scene, him and the disciples, in the moments before he would be murdered, which he knew, he took his disciples to go to the garden to pray. This is telling, because in the garden he prays this. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And this cup is God's wrath that's getting ready to pour out on Jesus that he's getting ready to bear for the salvation of the world. He says, but not my will, but yours be done. And then it says this. It says, and being in agony... He prayed more earnestly, and sweat become like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Here Jesus is praying in agony. I don't know about you, but sometimes anxiety feels like agony. And we don't like to picture Jesus anxious, because he's the one that says, don't be worried. I don't know what else you call this. What do you call this? It says, for the joy of Set before him, he endured the cross. He wasn't happy about the cross, but he saw through the cross to the Father's will for the salvation of the world, so joy that came after the suffering. He wasn't happy. And we have to remember that Jesus was both 100% robed in humanity, yet still 100% deity. And what that means, he still was fighting the faultiness of the flesh. I find it encouraging. Because then you come to passages like Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, which says, We do not have a high priest, speaking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That's good news. So I do not believe that anxiety is sin, but it is a signal. So my plans for after worship today is... Uh, Get lunch, maybe taking a nap, and then working on my truck. Here, my 20-year-old, 300,000-mile truck has a check engine light on. So what I'm not going to do, I'm not going to go and take out the bulb behind the engine light signal. Because that's not the problem. It's just a signal showing that there's a problem. So oftentimes we try to Fix the fruit 
instead of looking at the root. Make sense? We deal with these anxiety, but there's something causing it. Anxiety, I don't believe is a sin, but it is a signal. I don't believe that anxiety is a sin, but a symptom. It means something is threatening to take the place of your faith. Or, in other words, your focus needs to be fixed. Anxiety is interesting. Anxiety, defined biblically, carries this weight of dwelling on fearful thoughts. Now, let's evaluate yourself. I think we'd say that's pretty accurate. Dwelling on fearful thoughts. And so my question for us is, when anxiety creeps in, or maybe even is rising in this moment, what are you dwelling on? What are you dwelling on? There's a lot of things to be dwelling on. Work issues, finances, family problems, relationships, health concerns. What are you dwelling on? The news, world events, next year, which is tomorrow. Do you know we're entering in a political season? Cause you some anxiety? What are you dwelling on? And just a note, and we'll talk about this a lot this year because of the divisions that politics causes. We go as, as we're as political as the Bible is, if that makes sense, right? You will have no peace when your hope is in a politician. All right? That's what we're going to start off 2024 with. You will have no peace when all your hope is in a politician. That's all I'm going to say. All right. We're going to make it. The question is, what are we dwelling on? What are you dwelling on? It's amazing how God knows how we're wired and how we're tempted to dwell on those things that are unhealthy and are life-taking. And so the Bible talks directly to the things that we should be dwelling on, this whole replacement. It's always about replacing one thing with something better. Philippians 4, 8 and 9 talks about what we should be dwelling on. What is life-giving instead of life-robbing and taking? It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, Dwell on these things. And then Apostle Paul says, do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. It's replacing those things that are life robbing and stealing to things that are life giving. That comes from Jesus alone. What are you dwelling on? Colossians 3 Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I've heard it said, get in the word of God so the word of God gets in you. To let the word of Christ dwell in you, you have to dwell in God's word. It's a replacement. We have to replace those things that are robbing our peace and stirring anxiety with the things that give you peace and push away things that cause anxiety. 
So it begs the question, if anxiety is a signal and a symptom, what are we to do? How do we begin to fix the root instead of just focusing on the fruit? So I go back to what did Jesus do in the face of unimaginable pain and despair? What did he do? We'll go back to the garden. What, what did he do? He, first, he paused by going to a quiet place. He prayed, but he didn't stay there, did he? Then he pressed on in the face of the coming problems. He paused, he prayed, and he pressed on. And this, I feel if it's good enough for Jesus, it's probably good enough for us. So this can be my encouragement as we enter in this new year, which is going to come all kinds of anxiety, worry, fearful, inducing things, that we make a regular rhythm to pause. Why? Because hurry induces worry. You can write that down. It rhymes. We need to pause. Pray, and then press on. We need to pause. So the psalmist in Psalm 46, verse 10, simply says, stop fighting. Also translated, be still. I like to stop fighting. In other words, give up, surrender. That's what it's talking about. Be still, give up, surrender. He says, and, and know that I am God, not you. Stop fighting. Be still and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So pause. In other words, pause to remember that God is bigger than your problems. See, that was even uncomfortable, right? Just pausing that long. Pause. But don't stay paused because it leads us as we pause to reflect on how big and great God is. It should lead us to. You can talk in church, it's all right. Pray. Pause and pray. We quoted earlier Philippians 4 6 and 7 says, Don't worry about anything and go on your merry way. That's not what it says. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. But it doesn't stop there. It says, and, I love that, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, which means you won't even get how this thing works, nor will anyone else will guard your hearts and your minds. Where does anxiety race? In your mind. Where is the battle waged the most? In your mind. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding, which is in your mind, you won't even get it, because it comes from God, will guard your hearts and your mind. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, God says, you will keep the mind, or you will keep the mind that is, Dependent on you in perfect peace. God will keep the mind that's dependent on him in perfect peace. In other words, prayer changes your dwelling place. What are you dwelling on? Prayer changes your dwelling place. Prayer may not solve all the problems that you face. But prayer will give you peace in the face of your problems. 
So we pause, we pray, but then what do you do? You have to press on. And this is not the old adage, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not just going under my own strength, I got to suck it up. This is pressing on, but you're not pressing on alone. Philippians 3, 13 through 14. The Apostle Paul writes, forgetting what is behind. He says, in reaching forward to what is ahead. And the, really, the, the translation here is straining forward. Reaching forward, like me trying to touch my toes, which is impossible because I cannot be flexible at all. Straining. Back in my fire service days, we used to have fire department competitions. And there's one competition where we had to pull a fire truck. And so a few of us on a rope pulling a fire truck. If you can imagine, those things are pretty heavy. And so what we were doing, we were straining forward. Straining. That's what Paul Paul is talking about here. Straining, reaching. It takes effort and work. Strain forward. He says, I pursue as my goal. Also translated, I press on. Toward the goal, the prized promise by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. This is fixing your eyes on Jesus. I press on because God is faithful. This is courageously carrying on because you belong to a bigger king into a better kingdom. I'll say that again just so we get this. This is courageously. That means you actually have to have courage. And just to be clear, it doesn't mean you're not fearful, worried, or anxious, but it means that you press on anyway. Courageously carrying on because you belong to a bigger king and a better kingdom. This is what Jesus points to when he says, don't worry in Matthew chapter 6. I'll read it to you. He says, don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? But he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Why? Because tomorrow's Monday. He knew Monday was coming. This is pressing on. So the secret sauce, by pausing, praying, and pressing on, this is fixing your focus problem. This is changing your dwelling place. This goes back to what Jesus says. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. This is why peace is possible. But what we have to see as we close this thing down this morning is that from Jesus' pain, you can have peace. So I know. I know not all of us in your have peace. But you can. You can have two ways. First and foremost, you can have peace with God. You can have peace with God. And maybe many of you were like me when I was growing up and even in early into my late teens. I thought God and I were good. Like I was good with him. I'm sure he was good with me. But I didn't know God. I never put my faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I just knew about God, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that. 
And because I'm cool with that, he must be cool with me. And the problem is he wasn't. We weren't good. The Bible actually calls us enemies. There was no peace with God in my life because I was an enemy of God. And this is true about everyone that has not placed their faith in Jesus for the salvation of their sins and the wrath of God. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him. Jesus gives us peace. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. So we can have the peace with God that we were created to have in the first place through Jesus alone. Romans 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And everyone means everyone. And this is good news because no matter what you've gone through or going through, what you did, done, or doing, you're in the everyone category. And so if you've not placed your faith in Jesus, what a great day to make that faith change from yourself to your Savior, that new life that's in Christ Jesus that starts at the moment you believe and lasts forever. Perfect peace starts there. And so your next step this morning is to pray, seeing that I'm a sinner and fallen short in need of a savior that somehow some way I don't understand all but Jesus died for my sins and I believe in that and by his death burial and resurrection I have new life and connection and peace with God that's your prayer this morning and then taking the next step of confessing come and pray with us we'll have a prayer team to the side we want to pray with you pray for you and help you walk along in your next steps in your faith journey because you weren't meant to walk it alone peace starts with there Peace starts with your relationship with God. And Jesus extends that gift to all who believe. And there's a second piece I want to get into. And as I do, I'm going to invite the band back up as we respond. So the band's going to come back up and we're going to sing one last song. And during this song, I'm going to invite you to respond to what God's doing. That could be various things in various ways. For many, he'll be standing and singing worthy because he's worthy of our praise and he's worthy of his name. For some, maybe be sitting and being still in the Lord and just praying as we go through this next song of worship. For some, you may just grab someone and pray with those around you. We'll have a prayer team to the side. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you. Because we're all dealing with this thing called life together. But the second piece I want to leave you with this morning, so you can have peace with God, and it goes to lastly, you can have peace in this world. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 just talks about this peace because of who God is and how amazing his love is. It says, who can separate us from the love of God? 
Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger and sword? He says, no, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death, depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a lot of things. There is nothing, never know how, that can separate you from the love of God. So as we go into this rest of this day, I want you to hear 1 Peter 5, 7. I pray it just refreshes and washes over you this morning. It says, cast all your cares, its anxieties, on him. Because he cares about you meaning he's concerned about you. So run to the Father with your cares, anxieties, and let the peace of God wash over you in this day, in this coming new year, as we pause, as we pray, as we press on together. Father, we thank you for the encouragement that you give us by your spirit and your word and your presence. We thank you that you'll never leave us nor forsake us no matter what we go through. And nothing never can separate us from your amazing love for us. And so we press on because of who you are with our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. And I just pray in this moment that you wash over all of our racing, anxious, fearful hearts and give us the peace that surpasses all understanding. Even though we don't understand what we're going to be going through and the uncertainties that we're going through, but we know that you are faithful. Give us great boldness and courage to take the next step. We thank you, Father. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.